Good morning, y'all. Kind of hard to improve on uh, what we just sang, so maybe I'll just sit down. So bear with me. Uh, we're looking at the Genesis 40 this morning, and I've titled this message, In This World, You Will Have Trouble. It shouldn't surprise any of us that uh, we do have trouble in the world. What we're seeing in the life of Joseph, prefiguring Christ in many ways, Joseph was not always comfortable. His life was not always enjoyable, as it was with the Lord Himself, with many trials and many tribulations that was with Joseph and it will be with all his children. Joseph had been lifted up at Potiphar's house and he was... In power, had all things given into his hand except Potiphar's wife. He's now put down in prison. And he has no idea if or when or how he would be rescued from prison. It's part of God's purpose in our lives to show us trouble as a help to remind us that this world is not our home. There is a home we have yet to enter into where all of this trouble will be a thing of the past. But as now, we're in that time of tension. And that's what we see in Joseph's life here. The promised one would tell us, these things I've spoken to you, that in me, you in me, not in the world, in me you may have peace. In the world... You will have tribulation, but be of good cheer. Be of good cheer. I, he says, I have overcome the world. There's nothing we cannot bear. If we bear in mind, Christ has come and He's overcome the world. And we are His. So, with that, Genesis 40. The first four verses... The scene is set. It came to pass after these things that the butler and the baker of the king of Egypt offended their lord, the king of Egypt. And Pharaoh was angry with his two officers, the chief butler and the chief baker. So he put them in the custody of the house of the captain of the guard in the prison, the place where Joseph was confined. And the captain of the guard charged Joseph with them and he served them. So they were in custody for a while. It starts off by saying, it came to pass after these things. What things had happened? If you look back a little bit in chapter 39, verses 19 to 23, you recall when Michael taught us last week, it was so that when his master heard the words that his wife spoke to him, saying, your servant did to me after this manner, that his anger was aroused. And Joseph's master took him and threw him in prison, the place where the king's prisoners were confined, and he was there. But the Lord was with Joseph and showed him mercy, and he gave him favor in the sight of the keeper of the prison. So Joseph had responsibility to kind of watch over all the prisoners that were there. And yet when these two came, he was told to serve them. 
He was their servant. These guys were the chief butler or cupbearer and the chief baker at the king's house, at Pharaoh's house. They were high up in the food chain, so to speak. And so Yahweh was with Joseph and he caused Joseph to prosper while he was prison like he had prospered him in Potiphar's house. He was the king's butler, cupbearer chosen some other translations. The guy who would make sure that the wine and all the drink that was given to the king was good. Him and the baker... Closest advisors to the king. This is the, these are the people that made sure that everything that the king took into his body was fit, was good for him. You know, these were disposable people, but they were very important to him. And so he had become angry with these two for some reason not disclosed to us in the scriptures. They or some of the people that reported them had done something that offended the Pharaoh. And you know, if you aren't pleasing to the king, are you in trouble? Remember Esther, when she was told, go to the king because he's fixing to be advised to kill all the Jews. And she said, I can't go to him. She was one of his wives. I can't go to him unless he bids me come. It was a fearful thing. How much more fearful the king of kings, if you know him not. John Gill observed that these two men were probably the top men. Each were the top men in his category. The chief butler and the chief baker. And Gill says, in this case, if they had not been guilty of anything criminally themselves, yet they might have neglected to look after those that were under them and so were capable and drew upon them the wrath and resentment of their Lord and Sovereign. So, see, this is how it is in the military, and it's how it is in business. If you're the manager, if you're the supervisor, if you're the lead over some people, and you don't oversee them properly, and some of them mess up, and they get put in the military, you you get troops get put on the blotter report. And it shows up on the commanding officer's desk early the next morning. You're in trouble, because your troops got wrote up. That may be what was going on here with these people. We're not sure. But we're sure about this, that the men that were put in prison with Joseph did not happen as a coincidence. It wasn't some random act of the universe putting these men here with them. It was part of God's providence. Coincidence is how the world describes providence. Because they can't give glory to God. But he works out all things according to the counsel of his will. So coincidence or happenstance is not compatible with how he describes himself. So some time passed with these three men in prison. Could have been as much as a year. We're not sure. Mike told us last last week, you know, it was ten years in Potiphar's house and Thirteen years by the time he got out of prison, so maybe three years in prison. Hmm, we're not sure. Something like that. Yahweh's slow cooker was working out all things according to his plan. And when you're in trial and time passes real slow because you want it to be over, God's not worried about it. We don't see Joseph worrying about it. He might have been. But we have to, we have to recognize that 
when we see ourselves in circumstances that try us, worry us, wear us out, God's not asleep. God hasn't forgotten His people. And as Daniel waited for three weeks for an answer, it may be some time. Joseph waited three years for an answer. It it may be some time. But God is not like the God of Baal, you know, as Elijah described him. That ain't him. We have to trust in him who is working out all things for our good, even when we can't see his hand in our life. That's not feelings. It's not circumstances. It's God alone. Move on to verses 5 through 8 where we see the the role of God, the hand of God revealed. Verse 5, Then the butler and the baker of the king of Egypt, who were confined in the prison, had a dream, both of them, each man's dream in one night, and each man's dream with its own interpretation. And Joseph came into them in the morning and looked at them and saw that they were sad. And so he asked Pharaoh's officers who were with him in the custody of his Lord's house, saying, Why do you look so sad today? And they said to him, We have each had a dream, and there is no interpretation of it. So Joseph said to them, Do not interpretations belong to God? Tell them to me, please. Dreams. Many people are recorded in Scripture as having had dreams before this dream, these two dreams here. But these dreams here are the first ones where God is shown to interpret them. He shows up in a dream to a couple of people named Abimelech and tells them certain things, right? There's no interpretation. He just tells them. This is the first one where a man of God tells people, I I can interpret it, but only as God gives me wisdom to interpret it. In uh, Joseph, in Genesis rather 41, you see that Joseph interprets Pharaoh's dream. And in Daniel 2 and 4, Nebuchadnezzar asked for his dream to be interpreted. And Daniel says, God's the one who interprets dreams. I found 89 mentions of dreams in the Bible and eight of which are in the New Testament. It seems like people didn't have dreams after a certain point in redemptive history. 81 of the 89 dreams are in the Old Testament. None of these 89 dreams portray God revealing Himself in a redemptive, saving grace mode. And I mention this only because we hear in the news every now and then, a lot of times from Christians saying that the Muslims are having dreams and God's coming to them in their dreams and he's saving them. Now, I don't know if that's true or not. All I'm saying is that's not what we see in Scripture. Okay, so we have to be aware of who interprets dreams and he may give dreams to people. And he may save people through dreams, but the Bible doesn't say that. That's all I'm saying. These two compatriots of Joseph had dreams on the same night, and they remembered them, and they were distraught because nobody could interpret them. I don't know about you all, but I rarely dream. 
Not that I'm aware of. I hardly ever remember dreams if I do have them. But God was working in the minds of these two guys and they had dreams that had specific details in them that they recalled when they woke up. Joan remembers a lot of specific details of her dreams. I can sometimes recall vague bits, but specific details. These people were sad-faced. Joseph comes to see them. There's something wrong. And so he inquires of them, why are you sad today? He's paying attention to the people that the chief of the guard of the prison told him to serve. Right? He's diligent in his service to these people. Why are you so sad today? And so they got these troubling dreams. And Joseph, he doesn't tell them, don't worry about it. He says, don't interpretations belong to God? He's telling them, tell me your dreams. I'll go find out from my God. Because your gods can't help you. I'll go find out from my God what your dreams mean. So the first dream, 9 through 15. Then the chief butler told his dream to Joseph and said to him, Behold, in my dream was a vine. A vine was before me. And in the vine there were three branches. It was as though it budded. Its blossoms shot forth and its clusters brought forth ripe grapes. Then the Pharaoh's cup was in my hand and I took the grapes and pressed them into Pharaoh's cup and placed the cup into Pharaoh's hand. And Joseph said to him, this is the interpretation of it. The three branches are three days. Now, within three days, Pharaoh will lift up your head and restore you to your place. And you will put Pharaoh's cup in his hand according to the former manner when you were his butler. But remember me when it is well with you, and please show kindness to me. Make mention of me to Pharaoh, and get me out of this house. For indeed I was stolen away from the land of the Hebrews, and also I have done nothing here that they should put me in the dungeon. Now, when you listen to that dream, a vine with three branches and ripe grapes, Put it into Pharaoh's cup. Would you be able to interpret that the way Joseph did? I wouldn't. And Joseph had said that only God can interpret dreams. And so we have evidence here. There were probably some smart people in jail. Now, these Baker and Butler were pretty high-ranking people. There were probably others, some high-ranking smart people that had got on the wrong side of Pharaoh and got thrown in prison. None of them could interpret the dream. Joseph tells them what it means. You're going to be restored. It's going to be well with you. Joseph asks the cupbearer to tell Pharaoh that the interpretation comes from him. He wants to be in the mind of the Pharaoh because he wants out of jail. He doesn't expose the sin of his brothers and sell them to the Ishmaelites. He doesn't go into details about how he got there. He just says, I was taken and I was put here. I had done nothing wrong. He relates that he was stolen out of his native country. He makes no mention of the wickedness of Potiphar's wife. 
or her false accusation, nor the injustice of Potiphar and putting him into prison without hearing him. Joseph only asserts his own innocence, which was necessary to recommend himself to the butler. You can't recommend to this chief butler, hey, go tell the Pharaoh to let, the, let me out even though I'm an adulterer and a thief and a rascal. You know, I don't deserve mercy. He couldn't tell him that. He wouldn't, wouldn't get anywhere. So, describes this stuff to him to maintain his innocence in the eyes of the butler so that he would be favored with Pharaoh. Now, if he had been guilty of all these things, it would have been shameful for him to make this plea because he was getting his just desserts. He knew that he didn't deserve the punishment he was getting and he was seeking to get released from it. So, we don't see the results of that here. We'll move on to the second dream. Verses 16 through 19. When the chief baker saw that the interpretation was good, then he said to Joseph, I was also in my dream, and there were three white baskets on my head. In the uppermost basket were all kind of baked goods for the Pharaoh, and the birds ate them out of the basket on my head. So Joseph answered and said, this is the interpretation of it. The three baskets are three days. Within three days, Pharaoh will lift off your head from you and hang you on a tree, and the birds will eat your flesh from you. That's another dream that I wouldn't have been able to interpret. Rather obscure. But the baker, he saw that the butler had good news. His dream was good news. And, and his dream, not, not too different. Not too different. You know, juice, baked goods, kind of the same. He had to be thinking, maybe there's good news for me as well. And so he goes to Joseph. His dream... Involves three items, three days, same as the, same as the butler's dream. The interpretation, very similar. His head's gonna be lifted up. But the, the butler, he was, his head was lifted up like, come home. Right? Uh, the baker, your head's gonna be lifted up off your body. He, he's gonna be cut loose. Not in a good way. He's going to be hung out to dry. He going a separate way from the butler. His body, his headless body is going to be hung in the tree or from the gallows to be food for the birds. Now, why? Why do people hang up bodies to be food for the birds? Being food for the birds is often used in Scripture to describe judgment. Often used to describe judgment. In Jeremiah 7. Jeremiah 7. In uh, verses 8 to 11. The prophet... Talking to Judah, he says, Behold, Jeremiah 7, 8 through 11, Behold, you trust in lying words that cannot profit. 
Will you steal a murder, commit adultery, swear falsely, burn incense to Baal and walk after other gods whom you do not know? And then come and stand before me in this house, which is called by my name and say, we are delivered to do all these abominations. Has this house, which is called by my name, become a den of thieves in your eyes? Behold, even I have seen it. This is not what I thought it was. Oh, yes, it is. Okay, so that's the bad they did, right? They made his house an abomination. And then dropped down to verse 33. And the the prophet says, The corpses of this people will be food for the birds of the heaven and for the beasts of the earth, and no one will frighten them away. The birds are going to eat the bodies of these people of Judah because of all of the sin that they've committed. It's judgment, God's judgment in very grievous details. In Ezekiel 39, we see the same thing. Ezekiel 39, 17-20 As for you, son of man, thus says the Lord God, Speak to every sort of bird and to every beast of the field. Speak to the birds and the beasts of the field. Assemble yourselves and come. Gather together from all sides to my sacrificial meal, which I am sacrificing to you, a great sacrificial meal on the mountains of Israel. You may eat flesh and drink blood. You shall eat the flesh of the mighty, drink the blood of the princes of the earth, of rams and lambs and goats and bulls, all in fatlings of Bashan. You shall eat fat until you are full, and you shall drink blood till you are drunk. At my sacrificial meal, which I am sacrificing for you, you shall be filled at my table with horses and riders, with mighty men, with all the men of war, says the Lord God. And lastly, in Revelation 19... All of this comes to bear in this revelation of God in chapter 19, verses 17 and 18. Now, 19 is warfare. All all of Revelation shows the conflict between the people of the world, Babylon, and the God of all. And as this war is won by Christ. And all the people in heaven are rejoicing and singing praises. In verses 17 and 18 of Revelation 19, we read this, Then I saw an angel standing in the sun, and he cried out with a loud voice, saying to all the birds that fly in the midst of heaven, Come and gather together for the supper of the great God, that you may eat the flesh of the kings, the flesh of captains, the flesh of mighty men, the flesh of horses and those who have who sit on them and the flesh of all people, free and slave, both small and great. So when you, when your body is hung out for food for the birds, I don't know if Joseph had all these scenes in his mind when he had this interpretation that God gave him. I don't know if Joseph understood it. And there are other people that got hung out just for the birds to eat them, just not having to do with God's direct judgment. But I can't get away from the fact that we have two people in similar circumstances, under similar judgments, 
One is exalted and one is judged. We have Joseph who stands in many ways as a type of Christ. He's been humbled and put in prison and he pronounced pardon to one of the men he was with and he pronounces judgment on another. And we see in Scripture that God raises up some and he brings others to face severe judgment. So that's the picture of these two servants. That's the spiritual reality that I see them relaying to us. Let's move on to the last part of our passage here, verses 20 through 23. Now it came to pass on the third day, which was Pharaoh's birthday, that he made a feast for all his servants. And he lifted up the head of the chief butler and of the chief baker among his servants. Then he restored the chief butler to his butlership again, and he placed the cup in Pharaoh's hand. But he hanged the chief baker as Joseph had interpreted to them. Then the chief butler did not did not remember Joseph, but forgot him. So three days are up, just like in the dreams, and three days this will happen. And it was Pharaoh's birthday. Kings have parties when they have birthdays. He had a big party and all of his servants, all of his high-ranking officials were invited. These two guys out of prison, they're invited. And it happens just like Joseph had said. The butler gets restored. He's holding the Pharaoh's cup again, just like he used to. The baker, he gets hung on a tree. And... This validates that Joseph did speak from God. Because who can speak a thing and make it happen? If this had just been Joseph interpreting these dreams, there ain't no way that it would have turned out the way he had said. It was God revealing to Joseph what would happen. Psalm 75, 6 and 7 says, Exaltation comes neither from the east nor the west nor from the south, But God is the judge. He puts down one and exalts another. The baker was being put down and the butler was being exalted. This was the Lord's doing. And who can withstand his hand? Pharaoh can't even change what God has decreed. And yet, though the butler was restored, Joseph had been nice to both of these guys. He'd been their servant. He'd taken care of them. He had interpreted their dreams for them. And when the butler, who was restored to his high position, he forgot all about the one who told him what would take place. We, We see in chapter 41 that two years goes by before the butler remembers Ron Crisp said, the butler did not know that his ungrateful behavior would be recorded for posterity. How many like Pilate or Judas could not have guessed their future infamy? Let all remember that one day all unsaved men will have their lives made known. Revelation 20.12. I would add that even saved men will have their lives made known. 
For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that each may receive the things done in the body according to what he has done, either good or bad. Nothing is done in secret. So we need to let this reality sink down in our souls to help us avoid sin and walk as children of the light. As the butler forgot Joseph, so many of the people that Christ helped forgot him. You recall that he healed ten lepers, but how many came back to worship him and glorify him? Only one. Many of those who were fed by Christ followed him no longer after he started teaching them some hard things. Joseph wasn't treated well by lots of people. His his brothers didn't treat him well. But God moved amongst his brothers and amongst other people in Egypt. God moved certain individuals to do and say certain things. In due time, Joseph would be lifted up and exalted. Numerous times he would be lifted up and exalted. Even though the world was not his friend, God was his friend. Even though the world was not his home, God took care of him even in his time of trouble for the ultimate good of himself and, as we read way later in the story, for the salvation, the temporal salvation of many people. His family would come into the land of Goshen and prosper. In this, Joseph is a type or a shadow of Christ. And you know, the shadow never gives you all the detail of the person casting the shadow. It's a two-dimensional image with no detail inside. And if you're real familiar with the person casting the shadow, you might recognize a shadow, but you might not. And so while Joseph serves as a shadow, he just certainly doesn't complete everything that Christ represents for us. But you see that Joseph had a place of exaltation in Potiphar's house and he left that to go to prison where he served the king's servants and set one free and sentenced another to death. And after about three years, he was exalted to a higher place as Pharaoh's vice regent where he would rule over the affairs of all men of Egypt. We know that Jesus left the place of exaltation and glory. Very God. And he took the form of a human. And he came to serve and to save some. He was in the world and the world was made through him and the world did not know him. And after about three years, he was punished to secure our eternal peace and he was exalted to a higher place as very God and very man. Where he reigns over all the earth until he gathers all his people. And makes his enemies his footstool. It's not a perfect analogy. Nothing created can truly compare or reveal the eternal. That's why we have to see how each passage of Scripture leads us to the Christ and not be content with simply learning how Joseph lived when he was in prison. 
it's natural for us as Americans in particular, I think, to have the attitude that the world owes us because we're special. We deserve comfort and food and all sorts of benefits. And the question is, should that be our outlook? Is there a better way that we should look at the things we've been blessed with? We don't see Joseph growing despondent because he was mistreated or forgotten for two years. We don't see the Lord Jesus complaining that he deserved better treatment from his creatures. We're told to consider him who endured such hostility from sinners against himself so that we don't become weary or discouraged in our souls. He suffered much discouragement, much hostility from sinners. We we consider him by reading and following what he has revealed to us in Scripture about how we ought to live. I want to look at a couple of passages in First Peter as I wrap this up. I'm, I'm struck with the uh, title of the book, Francis Schaeffer, How Then Should We Now Live? Really, that, that, that's the question that needs to be before us as we're reading Scripture. 1 Peter 3, 13-17. 1 Peter 3, starting in verse 13. And who is he who will harm you if you become followers of what is good? But even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you are blessed. And do not be afraid of their threats, nor be troubled, but sanctify the Lord God in your hearts, and always be ready to give a defense to everyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you, with meekness and fear, having a good conscience that when they defame you as evildoers, those who revile your good conduct in Christ may be ashamed. For it is better if it is the will of God, to suffer for doing good than for doing evil. If you suffer for righteousness' sake, you will be blessed. It's better to suffer for doing good than for doing evil. Do we have the trust that Joseph displayed waiting on God to exalt us? Do we have the Trust that Jesus had. He entrusted his soul to the one who judges justly. Did not want to be taken before his time. He wasn't looking to rush the schedule of his exaltation. He knew everything that had to pass. Do we wait patiently? As Aaron pointed out Wednesday, we all have a tendency to think more highly of ourselves than we ought to. And we need to be Reminded to esteem one another more than self. As so when we're in trials, this tendency to think more of ourselves than we ought to shines the brightest to our shame. Because when we're in trials, we tend to get all self-pitying as a means to draw attention to ourself, which is a function of esteeming ourselves more highly than we ought to. Look at me, I'm hurting. We ought not to be ashamed of being in trials. But we ought not to use them to draw attention to ourselves. 
When trials come, we ought to be ready to praise the Lord and tell others about him because he's the one who comforts us through other people and through means. He comforts us. Glorify him and trust him. But the spirit doesn't leave us with just that one passage in scripture. There's lots of them. I want to bring one more to your attention, because as the as the man who wrote this book said, I intend, as long as the Lord gives me breath, to stir you up to remembrance of these things. That's the attitude Peter had. Peter needed to be reminded a few times about what he had been told because he was brash and unthinking in the way that he did some things and acted. And the Lord was patient with him. We ought to be patient with one another. In 1 Peter chapter 4, starting in verse 12, Good counsel for you and me. Beloved, do not think it strange concerning the fiery trial which is to try you, as though some strange thing happened to you. But rejoice to the extent that you partake of Christ's sufferings, that when his glory is revealed, you may be glad with exceeding joy. If you are reproached for the name of Christ, blessed are you, For the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. On their part, he is blasphemed, but on your part, he is glorified. But let none of you suffer as a murderer, a thief, an evildoer, or as a busybody in other people's matters. Yet if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in this matter. For the time has come for judgment to begin at the house of God. And if it begins with us first, what will be the end of those who do not obey the gospel of God? So whatever fiery ordeal comes our way, we shouldn't be surprised. We are, as Peter also says, aliens and sojourners here on this planet looking for the return of our Savior and Lord. That's what we are to be looking for. Not looking for a better paying job, although there's nothing wrong with that. Not looking for a bonus from work, although there's nothing wrong with that. Not looking to provide for your families, though there's nothing wrong with that. These things are good if they're used rightly and if they are not your chief end. Christ told us not to be surprised if the world hates us. If you were his, you ought to expect it because the world hated him. And he's not here for them to lash out at anymore. So they come against us. Marvel not if the world hates you, brothers and sisters. When the cohort of chaos comes against you, rejoice in the knowledge that you are his. And he is coming a second time to gather us to be with him. He is making a home for us that cannot be invaded by the strong man. We must be on guard so we don't get drawn into meddling, busybody into other people's business. Intrusive or unwarranted interference in the affairs of others. See, murder and stealing and these other sins that Peter mentioned might not be a big problem for you and me. But meddling in somebody else's business is an ever-present danger. 
It's funny, Paul also records lists of things that are horrible and offensive to God, and amongst them he often includes children being disrespectful to parents. These little everyday things that we all fall prey to, they're offensive to God. And we ought not to say, well, it's just the way I was made. I used to say that. It's not the right attitude. If God has given you a new heart, you've been remade. We're not finished yet. Bake at 400 degrees for two and a half hours. We're we're still in process. But we have to trust the one who's working things out. The bottom line, if we suffer loss in a way that is on account of us being in Christ, You take a stand at your job because there's a moral choice put before you and you can't honor Christ by lying, cheating, or stealing like the boss wants you to do. You may suffer for that. It's not cause for shame, but a cause to glorify God. God has given you backbone to stand for Him where people who are bent to the world wouldn't give it a second thought. This judgment that begins with the household of God is not the final judgment, but it is the testing of faith in our age. These myriad trials that attend our lives, this is the judgment that's come upon the people of God. Your faith will be tested like gold in a fiery flame. Our response reveals our master, testifying our faith in him. And this is why the outcome for those who disobey the gospel is mentioned. Trials on those who disobey the gospel will not result in them glorifying God with their praise, revealing them to belong to another master. Because a child of God that is being pushed and pressured will be able to glorify God. Brother Jim's attitude while he's going through this recovery from this illness is an encouragement to everybody that talks to him because he's glorifying God in his trial. I want that in my life. I want that in my heart. I want that in my soul. When I go through trials, I want to be able to glorify God because He's good even when I'm miserable. Today, if you hear His voice, do not harden your heart. There's a day of rest for those who believe on Christ. And today is the day of salvation. If you hear His voice, do not harden your heart. Turn to the Lord Jesus and cry out to Him for grace. Fellow saints, let us remember the words of Jesus and the passage before us. In this world, you will have trouble. You will. But be a good cheer. You will have trouble. You will have great tribulation. Be of good cheer. Be of good cheer. Jesus has Overcome the world. (laughs) It's hard for us to overcome small things. Little things get emotionally bent out of shape in our mind and we can't overcome them. Jesus has overcome the world. There's a book years ago that put this phrase in my head. Trust in the King not in your ability to follow Him. The King, trust in Him. Your obedience is not what you have to put your trust in. won't get you to where you need to be. But be of good cheer.
Be of good cheer, saints. Christ has come. He has, past tense, overcome. He has conquered the world. He has conquered sin. And He has conquered death. What more? What more does He need to do? He does more. He comes alongside of us in our trials. He has given His Spirit to indwell our hearts, to be with us at all times, to be an encourager and a comforter and a convictor of righteousness and truth. So embrace Him. Look to Him. And glorify Him in your trials and in your good times. Let's pray.